This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Whenever I board an airline flight, I look into the cockpit and I'm fascinated with all of the dials and lights and gauges and knobs and I think, how complicated. I can't imagine flying one of those jets. And then I think about the movies where someone like Harrison Ford has to land a plane. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Dave? I'm thinking of the movie. I can't pull it up, though. Yeah, Yeah. I know. And even though he's, uh, he's not a pilot, you know, someone from the tower is telling him what to do, and it looks so complex. And I think that's what it's like for new fly fishers. You know, looking around a, at a fly shop is like looking around in an airplane cockpit, isn't it? Yeah, that's I mean, a it's, good analogy. Yeah, it's, it's just bewildering. Well, today we're going to talk about simplifying your fly fishing. Uh, Dave and I are convinced that if you do this, you'll be more effective and fly fishing will be less stressful. And obviously we're aiming for the the new fly fisher, but I think this is useful for veterans as well. I think as you fly fish more, there, uh, you know, you have more flies, you have more gear, you have more rods. I think sometimes you just need to stop and say, I need to dial it back and go back to the basics. What are the basics and how can I simplify my fly fishing? I do think the assumption yeah. here, uh, our podcast is all about two things. It's not about fly tying. It's not about fly fishing shows. It's not about rendezvous and all the stuff around fly fishing. It's really about two things, which is how do you catch more fish and how do you enjoy yourself while you're out on the river? Now, those other topics are really important. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think this really falls under both those categories. You want to catch more fish and you want to enjoy yourself more on the water, simplify your fly fishing. So let's just start with that. Why is fly fishing so complex? One obvious place to begin is a proliferation of gear you and i just had a podcast about fly fishing wading boots we talked about the patagonia foot tractors that we like and since we had the podcast all of a sudden uh, a new product emerged it's also called the patagonia fly uh, foot tractors and they're 200 bucks more expensive or more than that actually yeah they're they're almost 300 dollars more expensive they they partnered with a boot company out of portland and it's a it's a cool-looking boot, but hey, it's just it's not, not worth five hundred and forty-nine. No, it's bucks, not of our right? price range. But just literally in a month, mm-hmm. a new product emerged to obliterate the old, and that's true across fly rods and and tippets and all these different brands. And if you're a product company, you have to create new oh, products, or you're dead in the water. <clears throat> what this does for fly fishers is it just creates all these options, and options create complexity. That's so true. So I think proliferation of the brands and the gear is just mm-hmm. one of those areas. And even the flies. Do you remember that song, Dave, I've Been Everywhere, Man? You know, it was kind of a country song. No, I don't, I you, don't you know, remember I've that. I've Been Everywhere, Man. You know, Wichita, Peoria. Birmingham, you know, sorry, just, can't pull it up. So I, I mean, it, sorry. You, you, you could actually keep singing, Steve. Well, no, you could do that with flies. You know, Zugbug, Hairs Air, Bitch Creek, Purple Haze, Copper John, Sparkle Dunn, Ginger Quill, Shuck Dunn. Ah, oh, shocks! I fished every pattern, man. Oh, yeah, now well, I yeah, remember yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm, it was I'm, that melody I was losing in your. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, rendition. But, I know, but really, there are so many flies. I mean, it used to be, hey, you know, use a. Use a parachute Adams. Well, then, then the purple haze comes along because there's purple dubbing on that fly, and 
And, and actually, I, I think that little adjustment is worthwhile. I, I have some purple haze patterns, but what it means now is, you know, for every fly you have, there's 16, you know, mutations or, or you know, takeoffs of that fly, and you, your fly box can get so cluttered that you look at it and think, good night, where do I even start? And I, I manage the Instagram account for two guys, and so we're, uh, we follow a lot of fly tires, and they're coming up with all these wonderful, cool names for flies. I'm thinking, hmm, that I, I can't hold all that stuff in my head. That's right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just give me a parachute Adams, a, a blue quill done, or give me, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's a blue quill done, Dave. <laughs> I just tied one up for you. It's called the blue haze. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. We should edit this out, but we probably I won't. Know. Oh, man. <laughs> but there's, there's an array of flies that is just beyond me. Oh, I know. And, and it, beyond my ability to hold all the names in my head and what they are and whether they're duns, you know, spinners yeah. or mergers or pupa. I mean, rah. Man, it does. It gets complex. Yeah. What else? Another is new styles of fly fishing. Obviously, Euro nymphing and Czech nymphing is are two of those. Uh, tenkara. Tenkara. There's also now fly fishing for carp and bass and yeah. saltwater and and which has emerged over the last twenty years. And so there's just so many areas. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. We're, we're not knocking that. I mean, you're oh, doing you're gosh. doing Euro nymphing. It's just that. That the more stuff you have, it just the more options you have, it just yeah, makes it more it, complex. That's exactly right. That's exactly. And also, we've talked about this too. It's just tons of content. I think when you and I started our podcast, there may have been four or five fly fishing podcasts. April Volke had just come out with Anchored, and of course, the Orvis uh, fly fishing podcast is the is the originator really of all the podcasts, or one of the originators. Then there was us and a few others, but now, my gosh, all the fly shops are creating podcasts. And, you know, as part of their branded content, and which is all good. The problem is, what do you listen to? Yeah. And how do you find it, right? It's like finding a needle in a haystack yeah, to find what is. you really want. So yeah. that's what I mean by complexity. Yeah. Certainly all the content and video and everything that's out there just creates more, more complexity. Sure. So what do you think about then, or, or how do you think about fly fishing at the big picture, at kind of the meta level? I mean, how do you approach it so it's not so complex i've made some decisions and in some ways we've made some decisions because we fly fish probably 80 to 90 percent of our time we fly fish together there are mm -hmm. you know maybe 80 percent of the time we fly fish together and one is we're going to fish the the spring creeks of the driftless so there's a certain kind of fly rod and certain kind of bugs we're fishing and and streamers we're fishing and so that's one the other is we fish in Colorado or Montana. So we're not fishing saltwater, we're not fishing for carp, we're not fishing for bass, while we're not knocking that at all. It's just that we've made decisions yeah, you can about only, what we're gonna fish. can only do so much. You can yeah. only do so much. When I was younger, I didn't think like that. And now that I'm older, I realize, well, mm -hmm. I have limited time, uh, both during the day, but also what time I have left on this earth. So what, yeah. I, what do I wanna do more of? And so right. that has really helped winnow and simplify what I really want to do. I want to do yeah. a lot of fly fishing in the West. I mm -hmm. love yep. the West. I could go to Patagonia. I could go to New Zealand. But as Toby Swank said of that fly shop recently, he said, you know, I come back to Montana and realize, man, 
this is really good. Yeah. You go to New Zealand, you can go to Australia, you can go to Patagonia, you can go to Belize, but, and those are great places to go, but you want to catch a lot of fish and big fish, go to Montana. Yeah. So we've made those decisions. Yep, that's true. Uh, you know, something else I think about at a big picture level is how much time do you want to spend on the river that is actually fly fishing versus uh, doing the prep and, and I'm thinking about things like making your own leaders, uh, tying flies, making rods. Never made my own leaders, but I've, I've tied flies. I, I, I don't do as much as I used to. I think I may pick that up again a little bit more, you know, in a couple of years. But uh, I, I made some rods back in the day, uh, you know, taking the blank and tying on the wrappings. And that was kind of fun. But... I find more and more at this phase in my life, I have some other projects going that are, are probably going to wrap up in a couple of years. And, and so maybe this will change. But right now, I just want to fly fish, you know. And, yeah. and I, uh, boy, if sometimes the choice is not uh, tying flies versus being out on the river. I realize that may, for some, that may seem like a false choice. You know, you you have the time to do both. But if I have the time to do one thing, you better believe I'm going to be out on the river uh, fly fishing. So I think approaching it like that too is is helpful. And, and whatever choice you make is fine. We're not, you know, we're not saying this is how you have to do it. We're just saying here's some of the categories that you have to think about. I, I, let me just add to that. If you're a new fly fisher and you get into the sport, you wonder sometimes if it is even about catching fish because you have your TU chapter, which is about conservation, but then it's really about fly tying, and then there's making rods, as you said, and there's all these, all these, it's, it's really the culture around yeah, fly fishing, mm -hmm. and which is one of the great wonders of, of the sport, right? Yeah, it's, it's a really mm -hmm. great thing. I've just made some decisions that I'd rather be fishing, it, I'd rather do the actual fishing than participating in a lot of the cultural activities of like fly podcasting. Fishing. Good night. That's Who stupid. would do that? That's so <laughs> stupid. Can you imagine? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, you, you're right though. And and even even doing this, honestly, we look at this. We we love talking about fly fishing, but it, a lot of this too is is our friendship. And, right. And it allows us to get together yeah, once a month it, and it's something spend we can a half do day and, together. Yeah. And, and we know that it's helpful at some level to people. Either it's entertaining or or maybe. Maybe you even learn something occasionally. Yeah, so that would be nice. Yeah, so we, we like doing, and maybe that's our choice too. We're saying, well, we'll you know we'll do podcasting, but that means cutting out time for uh, tying flies and making rods and making leaders. Because honestly, that that time goes into uh, uh, yeah doing some background reading or or watching you know a few fly fishing videos, and then and then just the actual work of cranking out a, an article every week which we've done that for almost four years and yeah, that's intense. And, and a podcast and you've every carried week. that load you've yeah, carried the well, load of the writing yeah, yeah. but you, you've done you've done the other things but yeah it's uh you're right there's you just have to make choices and so i think at you a don't meta have to level, do it all right yeah exactly yeah. so i do think at a meta level this is all about what goes in the bucket and what doesn't the big rocks to use the old who was that that had that metaphor was that Stephen Covey? You know, you yeah, have a bucket. What, what are the big yeah. rocks you put in the bucket first, and then you put all the little yeah, sand around it? Yeah, that's right. It. 
So for me, it's about catching mm-hmm. fish and being out in the out in the outdoors and stripping it all back yeah. to, to what enables me to do those yep. two things. So let's do this now. Let's talk about spend the rest of our time in this segment of our podcast talking about strategies for simplifying. We've kind of talked about big picture, but now just some really practical things when we think about rods and flies and knots. What are some strategies for simplifying? So. Dave, take rods, for example. Somebody's getting into fly fishing. Do you have to buy three rods right away, or can you get by with one? I think not. I think you can get by with one rod. Trout Unlimited, their magazine. Who is the guy, Derek, uh, who is the guy that did that uh, piece that you uh, oh, riffed off of? Yeah, I can't remember now. Anyway, he's one of the editors at, on the magazine. Riffed off of, yeah. right? Not ripped off. Off ripped of. off, yes. not yes, ripped off. That's right. But really, the five weight, the nine foot five weight, is the all around yeah. fly rod for people who fish trout. Now, if you're fishing really small trout in 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 smaller streams, you might want to get something smaller. But one way to simplify is have one rod. You don't need a rod for every sized fish. And so the nine foot five weight is the most common. But you and I have a nine foot six weight that we use for a lot of different things. Uh, we have other rods, but if you're going to have yeah. a single rod, I'd oh, buy yeah. the nine foot five weight probably. Good night. You can catch trout in the driftless in a in a small spring creek on that, and you know it, it works fine. I, it, not a problem at all. Hey, I'm inwardly laughing because I think the writer was Kirk Dieter. Kirk Dieter. And did, did you I say think? Derek? You're probably thinking of Derek Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I was. Derek Jeter, the legendary fly fisher. Yeah. Oh, man. Exactly. That's too funny. Yeah. All right. There's some other yeah, uh, yeah. strategies I mean, for simplifying other than fly fl- rods? Flies are the same way. I'll never forget Bob Granger, who was one of my early fl- uh, fly fishing mentors, saying, you, you really only need about five flies. If, if, you, if you had the same pattern and you had a couple different sizes in each one, that's all you would need. And you know, got me to thinking, well, if, if I could only have, uh, let's say if I could only have a couple of, of dry flies, that's easy. I definitely take a parachute Adams, which you uh, pointed out. Didn't you read somebody recently who, or was it Gary Borger who even said you could use that for, you know, mayflies and caddis and And midges and midges. Yeah. Because these all three, Mm -hmm. um, I think molt or shed their what they yeah. molt, but they shed their mm-hmm. their uh, their shell on the surface, and you know different colors or different body colors, right? Right. But really, for those three, mm. you could use a uh, parachute atoms for yeah. all three. And then an elk hair caddis would be the second one, and I I use that a lot more than for a lot more than just caddis flies. I mean, that's I've I've caught fish during hopper season on that. I use that as an attractor pattern. And sure, I, I have other dry flies that, that I like, but man, I, I bet 80% of the time, Dave, I'm I'm using a parachute Adams or an Elkhart Caddis. Yeah. You know, I, you, you talk about nymphs. I mean, really, a pheasant tail. If you have a pheasant tail or a beadhead prince, or, or a, a hair's ear, yeah, Really, I, I doubt there's that many times where you're going to have a fish that that looks at a pheasant tail and would take that but wouldn't take the the hare's ear i mean yeah i know there's some little differences but you know a nymph is a nymph is a nymph in in a pattern like that and and then a woolly bugger and again you know color can be important but i think if you have you know black brown and and olive 
good night. Even black and olive, you could simplify it that way. A couple sizes, you know, maybe, maybe eight, a ten. Yeah, you know, I mentioned the pheasant tail as a nymph. Maybe, a, you know, maybe just one other pattern like a copper john. Uh, so what? Or a zebra midge or yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah. maybe a stone fly. But the thing is, that's you know, out of those, you could pick five or six of those, and boy, in most situations. You know, if you had the right size, you would be okay. So it's probably resisting the temptation to buy every hot fly. Yeah, a new pattern every once in a while is good to give the fish a different look. I, mean, we, I talked about the purple haze. Uh, I, like I, I like a JJ special out west, and I thought it was interesting. Dave Cumling said that on on one of our interviews with him on a podcast because I've used that one for years, and it's a it's, it's kind of a brown uh, yellow uh, type. Fly, but I have a hunch that that if I had a brown woolly bugger, it would probably right. would do just as well right. as that right. as that JJ special. So, yeah, just keep your flies simple. Uh, Dave, how about knots? I mentioned that. I'm curious your take on that because you've done more with the knots than I have. I've really boiled my knots to two, and that's the improved clinch when you're tying your tippet to the actual fly. Yep. Uh, and then the infinity loop, which is tippet to tippet, which yeah. I, I picked up last year at the uh, at the request, not the request, but somebody sent me a video of, of yeah. tying that, and it's just just so simple yeah. to tie. And once I have those, you're going to help me master that this yeah, year. I yes. will absolutely, and, and literally, it's you and I doing it once together. And yeah, you'll, you'll have it. But there's again, there's the double surges knot. I mean, the knots are legion. And if you want to be an expert in knots, then that makes your fly fishing more complicated. Yeah. For me, I'm trying to simplify and right. not be an expert in knots. And some people get a lot of joy out totally. of that. Totally. And, and I think it's cool. You know, I, I would never mock that. I think it's kind of cool. But I, I look at that and think, you know, that's great. I'm glad you're doing that. But no, that's just not going to work for yeah. me. Yeah. Again, if, yeah. if the goal is to be is to simplify your fly yep. fishing, it might not be your goal for right. some. But if it is, I simplify to yep. two knots. Improved clinch in the uh, infinity loop. Yeah, that's... The that's, infinity loop, it's called. Right. That's great advice. Well, here's another big one, and that's what goes into or gets clipped onto your vest or satchel or or some combination of maybe you use a lanyard and then you've got a backpack or a day pack. But uh, my goodness, fly fishing is a, is a gadget-intensive hobby, and, and I love gadgets, but... Well, you have to be careful or you could load your vest down so that it's like a suit of armor. So, I mean, what, what do you put in, in or, or on your vest? Well, obviously, you're going to have fly boxes, and maybe that's one we should stop and talk about in, in a moment. Uh, but try to keep, keep that simple. Uh, a fly box or two. Uh, you know, forceps or the, the hemostat, so kind of looks like the scissor-like pliers, which are really important for uh, removing uh, hooks from, uh, you know, from the mouth or lip of a fish. Uh, the little nippers that you use to uh, clip your line. Uh, fly floatant is pretty important. Uh, tippet spools, uh, some weight, usually a little split shot, probably a first aid kit strike indicators but really beyond that i mean yeah your net is is usually on the back of your vest or the back of your jacket um you have a thermometer yeah and, and that's it you could add some extras i for a long time i well i had a thermometer and then i stopped carrying it and then i 
I, I've done it again, just kind of interest in, in uh, water temp, but that, that doesn't take up a lot of room. Uh, you know, I, I don't bother with things like leader straighteners. I just, you know, stretch those tight without breaking them, and, and that helps to, you know, remove some of the, you know, the kind of the loop out of that. But, yeah, you really have to think through, what, what do I need? And, and maybe there's some fun gadgets, but am I really, do I really need this? And I think every year I, I look at my fly vest and I think, you know what, I didn't even use that item last year. So why is it even there? That's actually yeah. a good way to look at it or to evaluate. What, yeah. am I, what, am, what did I use last year? Yeah. Now, I try to go through my satchel every time I actually head to the river or maybe after I put on my waders, I go through. I often do it before I'm even, well, when I'm collecting my gear, I'll think, okay, what river am I fishing? And I'll stuff all my fly boxes into a different um, backpack that, I, yeah. don't, that mm-hmm. I don't take on the river. Right. And and just have really one or two fly boxes as opposed, I mean, if I put yes. every one of my fly boxes, I'd have like 15. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and I've done that before. I'm, I'm just rummaging through all this stuff and... And then I don't really know what's in my fly box, and and the same is with leaders, um, you know, us, you know, some nine foot five x, nine foot five x, seven foot four x, some maybe nine foot or seven foot two x leaders, um, a good variety, but not having nuance for mm. every possibility. No, no, you know, you mentioned fly boxes. That that is, uh, there's a lot of different ways of going about that. We've actually interviewed Peter Stitcher before. Uh, of a scent fly uh, fishing and, and I like his he, you know he has an approach where he he kind of lines things up you know diff- by different hatches and and even the stages of those hatches and that would be one way to do it but I, I often I think up until you know hearing that I mean I have I've got a dry fly box I have a wet fly box and and a streamer box and then I have another one that's uh, that Sometimes I'll use that or I'll just use little, uh, you know, just the little plastic small containers, not the, not the really uh, uh, cheap, you know, the fragile ones, but the ones that, that you could actually throw on the ground and they would bounce back up and not break. But, uh, you know, if, if I'm fishing somewhere like in, in the, you know, the Yellowstone and I know we're going to be, we're not going to be nymphing. We're either going to use... Uh, you know, streamers. hoppers or streamers, yeah. then I'll just take those little boxes and put, you know, streamers in one and, and you know, some hoppers in another. And, and then maybe one small box. I always have a small box. It just has a few general patterns of everything, kind of the five flies that we mentioned. So I'm always, you know, there's always something there. But I, I, I think that you're, you're right, Dave. If, if you don't do that, and if you fly fish enough, it's amazing. Flies multiply. They I, do I swear multiply. they do. Uh, over the winter in your fly vest, it's like, wait a minute, why do I have eight boxes? And then next year, why do I have ten boxes? And, yeah, it gets out of control. I think one last thing before we wrap this up is I do think there are those who want to fly uh, dry fly fish only, the purists. And yeah. I mm-hmm. have great respect for, him, for them. And there's so much simplicity in that. Yeah, right? there you're, is. And your brother Dave is like, yeah, mm-hmm. he really fishes dries every time he's out. He's fishing yeah. tractor patterns if there's nothing, uh, if there's no ma- major hatch going on. But I'm amazed when I fish with him, he just outfishes me all the time. And part of it <laughs> is he's focused on yeah, dry fly yeah. fishing only. I know. And he'll go through his entire box, won't he, until he finds yep. something that works. Yeah. 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 
And you also, like when you're fishing in the driftless, you're just pretty much doing streamers That's or right. dry flies. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I'll never nymph there again, but you know, it, it's just smaller water. I don't, I don't enjoy it as much. There's just, it, it's so easy to get you know caught on the bottom or there's weeds or whatever. So it's like you, you know, mean nymph fishing. I'm sorry, yeah, with yeah, yeah. nymphing. So it's either, hey, I'm going to dry fly, or, or if the conditions are right, I'll, I'll stream or fish instead of uh, nymphing. And Yeah, you're right, that does. That also brings a simplicity to it. So whether you're a newcomer or a veteran, hey, if you simplify your fly fishing approach, uh, we guarantee you will make it more effective and less stressful. All right, time for great stuff from our listeners. Raymond made this comment on our post, on our article on four fly fishing knots. And he said something I hadn't thought of, and it's really pretty profound. He said, when using saliva, you know, you're using saliva to wet your knot, you need to spit on the knot or onto your fingers. Never put the line in your mouth for any reason. He says that includes biting the line off also. Yeah, that's why we have nippers. You might end up with giardia, and that is a very long healing process. A guide told our fly fishing group that he spent three months in the hospital with two of those in ICU because he got giardia. I had never thought of that before. No, and I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's, it's one thing if you have a brand new, you know, tippet spool and you, you know, you break off a piece with your mouth, which you still don't recommend. Yeah, Use your nippers. Your teeth, yeah. yeah, but, you know, if, if you have a... You, you've got a leader and tippet that have been in and out of the water, and you pull that in, and you quick bite the, the end off of it. Oh, never thought of yeah, it. Yeah, you know, that <laughs> those drops of water could give you giardia. That's a, that's a great point. Goodness. So, Something else to be worried about. I know, I know, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, it's 90 degrees. Wear your, uh, your full waders. We've talked about that before. No ticks. So, and so no. you don't get ticks and sepsis and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, spit on your fingers instead of putting it in your mouth. But really, that is that is great advice. Yeah, that's great. All right, uh, hook set. Uh, this is the final segment of our podcast. We've added this recently. It's a new feature, and this is where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast by sharing a quote that we reflect on for a few minutes. And today's quote comes from Paul Schollery's book, Royal Coachman, The Lore and Legends of Fly Fishing. Uh, Paul lives in Bozeman, Montana, and he is a fantastic outdoor writer, uh, written so many things, and here's his quote. He says, American trout fishers seem always to have been wanderers. Even the first exploring parties into some regions, such as Lewis and Clark expedition, were taking trout if only to eat or preserve as study specimens. But the great vast American wilderness beckoned irresistibly to generations of trout fishers so that many waters were fished surprisingly early. End of quote. Isn't that interesting? What does he mean surprisingly early? In other words, people started fishing as soon as they discovered the streams? Yeah, it could have been, right? You know, I mean, Lewis and Clark, that was like 1805, 1806. And then you had uh, Jim Bridger... Uh, or actually, uh, Jim, uh, John Coulter, who was part was of their Coulter, exposition, yeah. who went out there after that, and then Jim Bridger and some others. And so, I mean, early 1800s, I guess they're they're fishing, uh, you know, those uh, kind of those areas. And I think that's interesting. He says, I, he, 
talking about wandering, you know, American trout fishers seem always to have been wanderers. And I think I, I think I may do that. I fly fish to satisfy my desire to wander and explore. Yeah. I, I would say that's absolutely true. That's why I hunt actually. Yeah. Oh, same thing. uh, Did you remember Dave years ago in the early eighties? And I don't know, that was back at the time where we were some days we'd fly fish, other days we'd spin fish. But we were up near Arlie, Montana, north of Missoula. It's on the Indian Reservation, and we fished this small stream, and I think we did pretty good. And there were a couple of other guys with us, uh, Jeff and Brian. And I don't know if you remember that, but I just I remember, you know, we, we, had, we had to stop, but I just wanted to keep going. We're, we're going up this stream into you know, this, the willows, kind of this thick brush. It was just so fascinating. And I, 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 it's funny, my mind goes back to things like that when I think about wandering or... The what I remember about that trip was Brian, our buddy Brian, who I remember we had to cross this bridge. It wasn't a big bridge over, because the stream was not that big. Yeah. And he cast, and I think he had a spin rod, he cast over... The bridge, and you know how the, how it is. People who cross bridges, they'll stop and fish it. And I mean, yeah. how often have you ever caught a fish yeah. off a bridge? Like never. Well, I remember in my head thinking, "Sheesh, let's just keep moving." Yeah, really. And he turns around and catches this cutthroat. Oh, it was huge, it was gorgeous. It was this, so fat. It, it had to be twenty inches. It was like a football. It was a Man. football, and the colors were unbelievable. Oh, I know. I think it was a West Slope cutthroat. Yeah. Oh, it was oh my gorgeous. gosh! Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I love that phrase. I fly fish to satisfy yeah. my desire to explore and wander. I, I remember up on Togwoody Pass one time uh, in Wyoming, just uh, uh, kind of up the road from Dubois or, or really not that far east of uh, the Tetons. Um, there's a national forest campground called Falls, and my brothers and I fished down below the falls, and we walked down this, I forget what, creek it was but there was another small little creek that emptied into it and we just we just took off on the small left the small creek or the medium-sized creek and fished a smaller creek and went up about a mile it was fantastic fishing and i i i always think you know man well well the next time it'll it'll be a little bit more familiar and that'll take some of the fun out of it because there there really is something about wandering yeah how about you what places do you think of I fished up in the UP of, uh, of Michigan. My family goes to a camp that's just over the border of Wisconsin into the UP. And I have to be honest, I have not done well fishing up there in the streams up mm-hmm. there. There's a, the, the Brule River is there, but the stretch where I could get access to the Brule is just, there's just no runs. I mean, it's yeah. just long and flat and, and slow and, but I did, one day I found this stream that crossed the road up there and it was so tiny. I'm thinking, hmm, should I even, should I even do this? Yeah. So I took my fly rod and just started hiking up. And again, I caught probably 10 to 15 small brook trout. I think some of the brook trout were five inches, <laughs> Oh wow. but it was How just, fun, though. You know, it was so fun. And that is cool. Yeah. And I, I feel that way when I fished in the collegiate peaks yeah. wilderness, which I have in the past, or yep. I remember, uh, there's a, forget what the pass is it's between leadville and aspen but Mm. there's creeks that are run right along the um right along the road as you climb that pass 
forget what the name of the pass is. I forget hmm. it. But again, you're not exploring into the mountains or deep, but you're still exploring this little creek that nobody fishes yeah. right along the road, catching little brook trout. And it's just, there's nothing like that that, for me, that, that gives me more joy. I just, yeah. it's, it's just one of the great things of fly fishing. Yep. Paul Shouldery is right, isn't yep. he? American trout fishers seem always to have been wanderers, and uh, uh, we'll continue to wander, won't we? Absolutely. As long as we can. Even if it's only 100 yards off the highway. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.